Hi everyone, it's me, Jodianne. Welcome back to the Witching Half Hour or so. As you guys know, I've been a practicing witch for many years, and my witchcraft practice has evolved from like a real kind of textbook traditional style to more free-flowing daily practice. On this journey together, I really want to give you guys a lot of information and kind of some teaching and I thought about where to start. So why not with the triple goddess? I think it's an important aspect of witchcraft, whether you're like a non-denominational kind of witch, or if you're practicing Wicca or heathenism or Druidism, British traditional witchcraft, wherever you fall, so many things people are doing out there. No matter what pantheon you follow, you are going to come in contact with the idea of the maiden mother and crone. And we often see this too in that symbol that we're all familiar with of the three moons, the waxing crescent, the full moon, and the waning crescent. And those different aspects of the moon also correspond to the triple goddess. So you've got the waxing crescent is our maiden, the full moon is the mother goddess, and the waning crescent is the crone. Makes sense, right? As we roll through our different kind of time in life, as we're maidens, we're growing, we're experiencing, the mother is in full bloom, like that big pregnant belly, and the crone is in the last half of her life where her time is waning. I thought one of the things I could do is just share with you some of my thoughts and feelings and experience with working with the different aspects of these goddesses. So we'll go over some of their traditional associations. And then a lot of this is just going to be what I feel about it. Because like, it's my podcast. So it's my opinion. And I'm going to be talking a lot about the divine feminine. So right off the bat, I want you to all know that when I'm talking about the divine feminine, this is not an exclusion thing. Everyone can work with the divine feminine. Actually, we all have both the divine feminine and the divine masculine inside ourselves and available to access at all times. The soul is not confined to gender the way that our physical bodies are. I'm just going to give you a second to take that in. That is truly my belief though. You can come back as a male, you can come back as a female, you can come back as a trans person. There is so much happening on a soul level that I think is so much bigger than just, you know, masculine and feminine. And I want to let you know that as a female practitioner, you can totally channel and work with traditionally masculine deities and energies. And as a male practitioner, the same is true. You can work with the divine feminine. You can work with any of the goddess aspects you want. We all have expressions of both the divine masculine and the divine feminine available to us at all times, period. Outside of our sexual expression, our gender expression, outside of all of that. Okay. Let's start with the maiden, shall we? So she's associated with springtime, growth, planting, expansion, and I want you to just stick with me for a minute. I want to talk here about expanding your idea of the maiden. And I want to challenge you, though, to think beyond the constructs of what our culture tells us about young women and innocence. Because the maiden goddesses are some of our warrior goddesses. 
Yes, they're young women, but they're not wet-behind-the-ears little girls locked in towers. These are shield maiden goddesses. They are maidens only because they have not experienced the rite and passage of childbearing and motherhood. Many goddesses of the hunt are maiden goddesses. They are youthful. They are strong. Because they have not entered into motherhood yet, they have so much freedom. They have many ways of expressing themselves. Their energy is for themselves at this point and in this stage of their life. They haven't yet made the sacrifice of being a mother. I'm going to list off some of the goddesses that are typically, for me anyway, when I work with them, I put them in the maiden aspect of my altar. Athena, to me, is a maiden goddess. So is the most celebrated aspect of Aphrodite. Now, I know Aphrodite does have children. She has many children, but she is a goddess of love and beauty. She stands for sexual expansion, of being comfortable in your body, celebrating your body. And that seduction and that experimentation all around sexuality, that's maiden style energy. The goddess Bridget is another maiden style goddess from the Celtic pantheon. And her expression of life and growth is as a fire goddess. We awaken the creativity within when we work with Bridget. She rules over the celebration of Imbolc, the time right before spring bursts forth, when winter starts to ease its hold on the land. You have Bridget come in and just light a fire in the earth. Then there's Persephone. Like, I could do a whole show really just on Persephone. She's actually been coming up a lot in my meditation and my self-work this year. There's all sorts of teachings around empowerment with her and creating the narrative to your own story. I'm not going to go too much more into her because I think maybe I will do like a whole episode on her. What do you guys think about that? Leave me a note. Let me know if you want to know about how I've been working with Persephone. Okay, so now another goddess I work with a lot who I always put in the place of maiden, even though like Aphrodite, she does bear children with her husband, is Freya. She is a mother, but she's more known as a goddess of beauty than she is as a mothering figure. I mean, come on, she's the ruler of the Valkyries. She's so strong and so powerful. And I think working with her was when I started realizing that I started expanding my idea of maiden goddesses, that they don't have to be chaste and sweet and kind. She is the head of the Valkyries. She rides into battle and swoops down and captures the souls of fallen. The Valkyries even tip the scales on who's going to win a battle. That's a powerful place to be. And that's an expression of power, of feminine power, that isn't about nurturing. It's also very different than the idea of destruction goddesses or death goddesses, but it's still incredibly powerful. And that's what opened my eyes to really expand my thoughts around what I've been fed by my culture that young women are. And how we can express ourselves when we are standing in that position of goddess empowerment. You get what I mean? Our maidenhood, that time in our youth before we have entered into parenthood, there is this huge freedom. We are in this exponential growth. 
we're expanding ourselves, we're expanding our idea of ourselves and how we are expressing who we are. And I want to just say here too, this aspect of growth and expansion, we can tap into this at any time in our lives. I'm a mother of three, and I've been heavily diving into the energies of the maiden goddesses and the ideas of freedom and growth and expansion. These divine expressions are never tied to our physical realities. They're here for us at all times. We just need to tap into those energies. You got me, babes? Okay, so let's move on to the idea of the mother goddess. There are more representations of the mother goddess than I could even name. Like, think about all those beautiful full-figured statues with the round bellies and full breasts carved out of clay. Like, they are found in every corner in our earth, in every culture that has ever been. Celebrating the mother goddess, the giver of life, has is the oldest thing we've ever celebrated, I think right? Like we celebrate the sun, the moon, and the, and the mother. Even Gaia herself, the earth we walk on, we have personified as a mother, always giving, always nurturing, ever supportive. I'm going to go over just a few of the mother goddesses we commonly associate with the different pagan pantheons. I'm going to start with Isis. That beautiful image of her with her son on her lap, it's actually the image I have heard and read that they used to overlay the Madonna and Christ child, right? Because the Jewish people where Jesus was born was in around like the Nile area with the Jewish and the Moses people. They took that iconery and overlaid a new goddess and a new son on top of Isis holding Horus. Yeah, Isis holds Horus and Osiris is her husband. Yes. Okay. So, see, I don't make notes, guys. I'm pulling this stuff out of my head. I have like little point forms. <laughs> Can you guys tell that Isis's husband's name was not in my notes? I had to pull that out of my brain. <laughs> okay. So, the other goddess we have associated a lot with our Wiccan revivalists is Diana. The great mother goddess of the New Age Wiccan revolution, the moon goddess. Then we have Hera, representing the Greco-Romans, and my girl Frigga, over in the heathen pantheon. The mother goddess has always been revered for her sage advice. I mean, like she's worshipped as a vessel of life. We all know that, right? She's also revered for her sage wisdom and advice. Her advice comes deep from the heart. You know when a mother goddess is giving you her wisdom, it is from this place of soft, nurturing, caring, wanting the best for you stuff. She also has deep healing powers. As a giver of life, it makes sense that she is a healer. How can we make this practical? We can turn to these goddesses in the times of our life when we need deep advice, when we need somewhere soft to land, where we are requiring healing. And when we talk of mother goddesses, we're not just talking about the actual mothering of people. I mean, she's there as the giver of life to people. 
but she also is about the fertility of the land. It's only been in the 21st century that we have had stores we could go to and just like buy chicken nuggets. For thousands of years, our livelihood has been tied into the fertility of the land. So many of the ancient pagan practices are all about following the wheel of the year, and the fertility goddesses are so, so, so important. It's all about things being born in the land, the seeds being rich, the land being rich. And then you think about, again, I'll touch on Persephone and her mother, Demetre. Demetre is goddess of agriculture and mother to Persephone. And the story goes that it was in her grief in the absence of her daughter that causes life to cease and the stillness of winter to fall over the land. It is only because of the coldness that creeps over the land and starts killing things that Zeus will interfere and bring Persephone back. Okay, so fertility of the goddesses is not just about bearing children. It's about the fertility of the land. So the mother goddess doesn't just birth children. She is a bringer of life in more ways than one. She's also a goddess that stands for transformation. It is a huge transformation to go from maiden to mother, right? Um, and we want to talk about motherhood, not just about babies, right? Like there's a whole aspect of creativity that is about the babies of our mind and the babies of our soul and the babies of our heart. It's not always just physical babies, right? Think about your writing projects. Even this podcast, like this is a mother goddess kind of thing. I'm birthing out this baby podcast and I want it to take shape and take form. So in preparing for this, a lot of the uh, ritual work I did around it is calling in mother goddesses because they are a creative force. They're where our ideas are born, right? We really want to expand our ideas. If we're going to be practicing in the 21st century, we have got to break through some of the crap we've been fed and really look at the power behind these archetypes. So the mother goddess, that full moon, that pregnant belly is all about transformation, abundance, life, breathing life into whatever is forming inside you. Whether that's a creative project, whether it's going back to school, whether it is whatever it is, that's when you use these. Okay, so you got that? Let's move on to the crone. It's difficult for me to go through and talk about the crone and to talk about the power behind the crone without getting on a feminist soapbox around how the culture at large really tries to steal power from women and as a byproduct also keeps men from expressing their own power. So I'm not sure how much of my feminist rants are going to make it into the final product of this podcast. Um, yeah, I'm going to try and keep it a little bit digestible, shall we? So just like the maiden, I'm going to challenge you guys to really 
rethink your idea of Crohn's. And I'm going to talk a little bit here because I feel like we've been fed this image of a gnarled, ugly old witch who's trying to steal beauty from the youthful. I've even like thought about this. I wrote an essay on it um, that I never published. It was just something I wrote. But I was thinking about how an old woman is represented in our culture. And don't worry, I'll, re- I'll bring this back to the crown. Don't worry, loves. So think about it. Like, I was raised on Disney. I'm sure a lot of you were. So we've got the gnarled old lady in Snow White. We've got the um, mean dragon witch of Sleeping Beauty. And you think about this. These are old women. These are women who no longer have children, right? They are postmenopausal, live in their lives, and they are the most frightening thing imaginable. That they have to send the most strongest, most amazing, most nightly nights out to kill them. Like, really think about that. A woman who is not tied into pleasing men sexually and cooking and cleaning for them and bearing them children... A woman who is outside of the control of men must be killed by the strongest, bravest knight that they have. Like, really? That's what you need if someone's a grandma and just doesn't want to listen to you? I'm not sure if I'm going to keep that in the podcast, but I'm just going to put it out there because the crone is powerful. That energy of a woman who is outside of childbearing age. Everything in our culture tries to erase her. Actresses can't get jobs after a certain age. We dye our hair to remain youthful. And all of that stuff is tied into, for me, for sure, the constructs is tied in for sure to the constructs of the patriarchy. This thing that tells us that women are only valuable as a vessel of fertility and sexual gratification for others. Just going to let you take that in. Because if a woman is not going to have a child, then her expression of sexuality is only about her own pleasure, isn't it? And our culture doesn't want us to believe in that. Just like with the maiden... They don't want us to believe that she is in a place of sexual expansion and experimentation and and they don't want the maiden to use her powers for herself. They don't want the maiden to use her energy. They want to feed us a lie about her being weak when really most of the maiden goddesses are shield maidens. Oh, this is getting so very feminist. I don't know if I can leave this in. Hmm, I'm going to stop now. (laughs) Okay, so that leaves us. We've gone through the maiden, we've gone through the mother, and now we're going to talk about the crone. So the crone is one of, I keep saying this is one of my favorite aspects of the goddess. I guess I just love all three of them for the different things they bring forward. Now the crone is an interesting one to unpack, and I could probably do a whole episode on her. I've written like um, an essay on how our culture tries to erase her. And I really feel that it does. I feel like uh, 
the power of the crone is something that is trying to be erased from our world because that's how powerful she is. So I feel that our death goddesses fall into this, even the beautiful, youthful ones like the Morrigan. She's beautiful and youthful, but for me, she's a crone goddess because she is that darker aspect. She is that death aspect. So is the Baba Yaga. I put her in the crone aspect. And Hecate, also beautiful. But for me, she's a crone, right? And I actually think the crone is very beautiful. To me, there's something very alluring and sexual and beautiful about a woman past her fertility. Because then her sexual pleasure is just about that. It's about pleasure, not about procreation. Just sit there and digest that for a minute, babies. Now, the other aspect of the crone that I find really beautiful is she brings this wisdom and experience. She has been a maiden. She has been a mother. And as a crone, she's often put in that midwifery position. She is courting death because she's at the end of her life, but has more understanding of birth than the mother. Because the mother goddess is in the process of birthing. The crone has already passed through that stage and holds the wisdom. So she can nurture the mother through her transition. And she also whispers into the ear of the maiden. The maiden and the crone are quite close. It is in the celebration of the winter solstice that the crone starts the transition of giving her throne to the maiden, right? Because the maiden is about spring, the mother is about summer, and the crone is about fall and winter. And they just keep on flowing through. So when we were talking about the mother, we're talking about how that aspect of the goddess has been represented all over the world. Little clay statues, little corn dolls, all these different aspects of the mother goddess. What we're just starting to find out, and I just learned about her like a few years ago, is there's a very ancient crone goddess, and she is the Sheila Nagig. Now, her origins are uncertain. I'm going to put some Google links up in the show notes because different anthropologists disagree on what she represents. And even where she came from is not very clear. There's a lot of depictions of her in Europe, And there's some in the Celtic areas, but they do think she could have originated from Germany. I'll put the links up for you guys and you can read it your own. But the Sheila Nagig just just makes me, just fills me with joy, really. She is this skinny, little bony woman with hangy downy breasts who's got her, her legs wide open and she holds open her vulva. And it's very exaggerated. And she's over top of doors and on gate posts and stuff in these old European buildings. Now, many of these ritual sites have since been taken over um, and Christianity has been overlaid on top of them. So you can sometimes see her in some of these very Christian buildings. However, she is a very pagan goddess. And the idea is that she, she protects. It is her barren womb that protects. She's that powerful. One of the things I've learned in working with the crone goddesses is 
acceptance, self-acceptance, acceptance for all the different things that have come my way and my reactions and experiences to them. I've had a few years where I've worked on a lot of deep shadow work type stuff and it's been the crone goddesses that have held my hand through that, that have urged me forward and got me through a lot of the things I have done healing work on. They have taught me that, and you'll hear me say it on this podcast, to break through some of the ideas we've been carrying, to let go of things, to really look at what is behind the shadow in my own mind, helping me find the core of issues so that I can work through them and get into that alchemy aspect of self-growth and change. And they're not afraid of anything. These are death goddesses, right? They're at the end of their life. They are courting that idea of death. They are on the last half of their life. They are past their prime. They are comfortable with decay. And they are not afraid of any of the things in the night. Hecate rides into the night with the wind whipping at her back, fearless. I think one of the things I want to make sure I say about the crone is how she shows up with beautiful timing when you need her. I feel that because our culture has tried to erase her, she knows this. Like think of the Baba Yaga in her cool cabin on its chicken legs running through the forest. She shows up when she is needed. She doesn't suffer fools, but she also doesn't speak unless it's wisdom. So when a crone goddess shows up for you, it's going to be at a time of powerful transformation in your life. The goddess is expressing herself in that time of agedness where she doesn't have a lot of energy to mess around anymore. So she cuts to the point. She's very blunt. It's a beautiful energy to work with because it gets stuff done with such deep compassion and such deep transformation. The crone is so much more than a hag in the woods. She is so much more than our culture has allowed us to see of her. From the compassionate hand that sits with you as you watch those you love slip into the night of death and then carries your grief with you, to the laughing Sheila Nagig opening her vulva to scare away the demons. She is... One of my favorites. I keep saying this about all the goddesses. It's so funny. Um, but yeah, I will leave you with this. There is no deeper compassion than working through grief with a crone goddess. If she shows up for you, if she's coming up in your meditations, if she's coming up in your card pulls, I challenge you, my babies, to open your heart to her. She has such deep wisdom. So that's my... Three cents on the triple goddess. I hope you guys liked it. And uh, please like, follow, share, drop me a line. You can see me on my other social medias. Um, All of that, links to everything will be in the show notes. I'll also make sure I put in some links definitely to the Sheila Nagi and to some of the other goddesses I've talked about. Okay, loveys, take care and I'll see you soon on another Witching Half Hour. Or so.
dog is fine. Ugh, I have to stop. Hang on. How do I make my notes into like tied into for me for sure the contracts constructs is tied in for sure to the contract. Many of the goddesses of the hunt are maiden type goddesses. Oh my goodness, I'm gonna have to talk way better if I say this many S's. I think I need some freaking coffee.